Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today I have Jane Lepkowski, uh, the Chief Scientific Officer and Head of R&D at Mysterious Bio. Jane, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good, good. Um, if you would, can you give listeners a um, you know, quick rundown of what you do and what the company does? Yeah, so I'm the Chief Scientific Officer at Asterius Biotherapeutics, and essentially what uh, I do is run all of the preclinical research and all of the product development for uh, Asterius. And Asterius is a biotechnology company that is focused on the development of stem cell-based therapies. Stem cell-based therapies for a variety of degenerative diseases. Our primary focus is in the area of spinal cord injury. But again, what we're looking at is using cells, stem cells, that have the potential to form all the cells of the body and to use them for therapeutic purposes. That's amazing. Um, stem cells, I'm sure that people that don't know much about them, you know, as I don't, um, I have thought they only could come from, um, you know, embryos or placentas or, um, you know, from extremely young children or fetuses, but can they come from our own body? What places can they come from? Yeah. So the the kinds of cells that we use are called embryonic stem cells. There's a variety of different kinds of stem cells that are out there. But the cells that we use are are called embryonic stem cells and they can they were initially derived from an embryo that was about to be discarded. Um, and instead of ha- discarding that embryo, these were embryos that were created for the purpose of in vitro fertilization. And the parents had decided that they had had, um, uh, were going to discard these particular embryos. And instead of discarding them, we used them to derive the human embryonic stem cells. And this is a class of stem cell that is also known as a pluripotent stem cell. That's a fancy word for meaning that it can develop into all cells of the body. And it can form the heart, the liver, the lungs. And so it's these cells that we use for, that can be expanded essentially indefinitely, and that we use for the production of therapeutic cell types. It's amazing. So they're called pluripotent cells, P-L-U-R-I-P-O-T-E-N-T? Yes, right. You got it. You know, this may be a stupid question, but um, can you use stem cells from one embryo in a different person or it has to be used? Um, you know, like how, how widely ranged can these cells be used? Yes. So these cells... Um, can be used for a different per, for 
all different types of people. So for, remember that we take them from the embryo, we grow them in culture, and expand them into thousands and hundreds and millions of different cells, cells and then subsequently we cause them to, through a process which is known as differentiation, cause them to become a specific cell type that might be useful for the treatment of a particular disease. And these cells are used in all different types uh, of people. So recipients that are not just self, but recipients um, would have known as a, another fancy word known as allogeneic, which means it goes into a different person. Yeah, what, what so cells from cell a one. To... So cells oh, from uh, cells from one derivation from one embryo can be used to treat thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. Wow, that's amazing! Because they can be cultured, I guess, ad infinitum. That's correct. Huh. So you can you can expand them into over a billion into a trillion cells. And then why use um, those. It, it it seems like um I mean what, you know how come there isn't enough for everybody why doesn't uh, how come scientists don't take you know ones they already have and just keep culturing more and more cells I mean do they need to get is there a certain point where the cells start to malfunction if you keep um if they keep creating new ones or they can well, just keep dividing forever. Some, so far, um, we haven't seen any limitation to their ability to grow in culture. And in fact, the ones that Asterius is using for, the, for our therapeutic um, products were, come from the very first embryonic stem cell line that was ever derived in 1998. We haven't got, had to go back to derive more and more embryonic stem cells. It's all cells that came from that one embryo that uh, we're continuing to use, um, you know, to this day, 17, 18 years later. That's crazy. It's like, um, you know, you probably laugh, but I went to San Francisco and saw the Boudin bread company, and they use, like, the same yeast from, you know, 200 years ago because they keep taking yes. a piece of it to make the new bread. So this is like... The same exactly. thing, you know? Well, exactly. I mean, the beauty of these cells are, are cells that are not necessarily found in nature. They're the earliest precursors of all of the tissues of your body. And normally in an embryo, they would go on to differentiate in all the tissues uh, that would form a baby, a person. Um, in this particular case, um, We've developed methodology in the laboratory where we can keep these cells growing in what is known as the pluripotent state and are also known as undifferentiated. And then by putting them in specific cultures, conditions, we can actually direct them into populations of a cell that, for instance, represent the nervous system or represent parts of the heart or the skin or, or different types of, of cells of those different tissues. It's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, it's what exciting. Factors, yeah, what factors cause a cell to go from its undifferentiated state to become a certain kind of tissue or nerve or... You know, that has been the uh, holy grail of 
what uh, many developmental biologists over the years have learned about doing experiments in the case of with zebrafish, zebra with using all different types of, of uh, invertebrate models to look at what types of signals cue a cell to, to change from one cell type to a very specific type of a tissue. And there are a variety of different factors. There are things that are known as growth factors. There are transcription factors. There are various other types of positioning of cells within a tissue in order for it to, in fact, uh, drive towards a, a specific tissue cell type. So it's really recapitulating what normally happens, you know, in developmental biology in a tissue culture dish. And it's taken many, 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 many years through genetics, through a lot of biochemistry, through a lot of other um, basic research that have allowed us to figure out many of the cues that cause a cell to change from one state into uh, the state, a state of a, a normal tissue. So is it safe to say there's no one thing? Is it like a complex orchestration of many things? What, what do you very complex. so far about it? Yes, it's, it's a complex um, pattern. It's a complex recipe um, for causing the cells to first start to transition out of their pluripotent state and then to become what are known as progenitors, which are the early stages of the differentiation of the tissue, and then to specify, yes, I am going to become a skin cell. Yes, I am going to become a cardiomyocyte. I am going to become um, a, a neuron, a nerve. Um, so it's really a very complex um, uh, sequence of events that really cause these cells to go down a particular lineage and to become a particular cell type. So it's, it's not easy. It's not just one factor. Right, right. How long does it take uh, to go from pluripotent cell to uh, skin cell or heart cell or You know, on it, it's, it's on average, it's probably somewhere between uh, 14 to 30 some odd days, maybe longer for certain cell wow. types. So it's it's really a uh, a transition. It's 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 learning not only what factors to give these cells in order to transition them to, but when to do it in the sequence of events and also the concentrations of these different factors that are critical to determining what you're going to become at the end of the day. Yeah, you can see why it's so hard because what what chemicals, what molecules will be given when and what concentration, when do they stop, when do they start, what comes next. That's right. It does sound complicated. Wow. It is, it is you know, and it's take, and that's what takes time for, you know, a lot of the basic research. I mean, much of this work started off with the you know, 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago, of uh, the isolation of uh, mouse embryonic stem cells, which from the mouse is a type of 
mouse pluripotent cell and people mm. learning how to differentiate those cells into specific tissues. And again, all of the developmental biology that has been the foundation for what we do into making therapeutics today. Well, have, you, have you or other scientists actually observed, even in time lapse, a cell going from being pluripotent to differentiated? Has anyone oh, observed sure. this, this process? So, I mean, we, we, we do that and look at that under the microscope every day. I mean, we can wow. show, for instance, with uh, one of the more dramatic ways that you can see is that um, in the production of cardiomyocytes, okay, what you find is that the cells have a, a morphology. They look like a pluripotent stem cell, and through the transition to a cardiomyocyte, you can find that they actually start beating in culture, um, and that wow. you can see that, that these cells start beating in culture, and e even synchronously, they form what are known as syncytions <laughs> or tracks of, of cardiomyocytes that contract in, in unison. So it is... Um, that's one of the more dramatic ones uh, to show because you can actually see these cells pulsate or contract in tissue culture. Have you, have, well, I'm sure you've tried a bunch of stuff, but let's say you have a bunch of these cardiomyocyte cells and you add in one additional or multiple addition, additional pluripotent ones, do they take on the characteristics of their surrounding cells and do they do it faster or in the same amount of time or what happens? Mm -hmm. No, so if you put it in, usually, like if you put in these um, undifferentiated pluripotent stem cells in with a cardiomyocyte, for instance, or with any, um, they, don't, they don't take on the phenotype. They don't take on the appearances of the cardiomyocyte. But you need specific cues to get them to differentiate into a particular cell type. Okay. Huh, very, very interesting. Um, ah, what was I going to ask? I lost it for one second. Oh, yeah. I guess I would guess scientists have studied certain reptiles and um, starfish right. and creatures that can regenerate a right. limb. Is that process at all like this, or is it something different? It, 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 it is, although, like, for instance, our the company name is Asterius, and Asterius is the genus name, the Latin genus name, for the starfish, the common starfish. And what happens is if you, you cut off one of the arms of the, uh, the starfish, it will regrow. And that was some of the motivation for naming our particular company. In this case, we're not we're using these stem cells to grow into different types of tissues to repair either injured tissue or degenerating tissue that is forming as a result of a disease. So um, again, it's very, someday we will learn how to regrow an, a, a limb or a tissue or some other uh, organ of the body. But we can't do that now. But we can start to recapitulate that by looking at growing the appropriate cells first in tissue culture and implanting them in the body. Okay, so let's, let's go through your process. You know, tell me a condition, a very common one, and, you know, what are the steps by which you help treat that condition? What do you guys do? Yeah, 
So the, the main focus for our um, of our clinical trials right now is in, in spinal cord injury. And in spinal cord injury, what you have is a damaged spinal cord that is uh, due to some sort of a contusion, an accident, some sort of blow to the spine and the spinal cord that causes damage to the spinal cord. And what happens is that in that spinal cord, in that injured spinal cord, what you get is a whole series of effects. You get the, the trauma due to the initial blow, but then you get all kinds of inflammatory factors and all kinds of excitatory factors that go on in that injury site that causes the tissue to die and to, to form a cavity right within the spinal cord. And what um, one of the cell types that is particularly um, uh, susceptible is our neurons, but also what are known as oligodendrocytes. And oligodendrocytes are the cells that normally in the body, they produce factors to support the growth and the survival of the nerve cells in the spinal cord. And they also produce something that is known as myelin. And myelin is a sheath that surrounds your neurons. So it's very much like a wire. If you think of an electrical wire, what you have is the wire itself, and then you have insulation around that wire. Um, and that is to prevent the wire for that is to prevent shorting out and to, pr to allow for good conductivity down that particular wire. Well, our nerves uh, and neurons are very much like that. What the portion of the nerve, which is known as an axon, is a long process to which uh, electrical pulses will be conducted. And it's the myelin that is produced by these myelin uh, oligodendrocytes that insulate it. So what we do is to introduce these oligodendrocyte progenitor cells, or the early, more immature um, oligodendrocytes, into the spinal cord of patients to provide support for the tissue that is there and hopefully remyelinate those axons, those nerve cells that are, in fact, um, have become damaged because of the injury and the subsequent inflammation. So that hmm. is the principle of what we're doing right now. Um, we're in phase uh, phase one, two, eight clinical trial in patients with cervical spinal cord injuries. And these are patients who have an injury in the neck region and who hmm. have lost um, what is known as sensory function. They can't feel or essentially move below the level of their lesion. Um, so and they might have lost, uh, certainly have lost uh, a lower limb function and upper right. limb, the arms, the hands. Um, so we're right now in the middle of studies looking at giving different doses of these cells uh, to patients with spinal cord injuries in order to see can we see a, if it's safe, which to date it okay. appears to be safe, but also to right. see can we regain any function. 
have you have you done it and uh have there been results yet or what stage is yeah there? <clears throat> there there are um right now um we have uh, conducted two studies um first patients with thoracic spinal cord injuries um in the lower back and then others uh uh, patients more recently, patients with cervical spinal cord injuries. And we're following them out right now. We're given different doses of cells. Um, and okay. what we're seeing preliminary, very early and very but very encouraging data suggesting that a, that there is a dose effect, okay, that um, you okay. have to put in a certain number of cells. We're looking at around 10 million cells in the spinal cord, and, and that we're seeing some improvements in the motor function uh, of the patients that we're treating. So, for instance, patients who have um, a cervical injury so that they can't have good movement of their arms or certainly dexterity or use of their hands, function of their hands, motor function in their hands, um, are recovering um, some ability now to use their arms and to use uh, their hands. Uh, so okay. it is very, very, very exciting. It's very early, okay? So we've only treated a few patients so far, um, and mm. we're following them out diligently. But um, this is the first sign that we're, you know, actually starting to see some potential activity of these cells. When you say it's very early, um, how long do you guess it'll take until this will be a, a commercially available therapy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take years yet. I can't predict exactly how long it's going to take. But um, what we what we're in is a phase one. It's called 2A clinical trial. So this is a trial that's designed to look for safety, but also get some signals of the activity, of the efficacy of these cells, what benefit they're bringing to patients. We then need to go on to randomized trials to show, um, and uh, larger trials to show that these cells are actually um, uh, having the desired effect and that they're having a beneficial effect um, and additional safety. So, and those will take a few years. What, how how are the cells administered? Do you inject them into the near the the sites, or like how are they, you know how are they administered? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we administer them um, as a surger, a surgical administration directly into the injured spinal cord of a patient. So it is a surgical procedure um, in which a neurosurgeon will take the formulated cells and directly inject them into the injured spinal cord. And the location is determined by an MRI uh, that a right. patient will get before the implantation of the cells. And what, what's observed when you inject, do the cells kind of move everywhere? Do they stay in one spot? Yeah, we they, can't... Um, we, yeah. We've, um, when we, we can't track them in a human, okay? 
but we have tracked them, what happens to them when we put them into animal models, in this case a rat animal model. And what we find is that these cells will migrate throughout the injury site and to actually um, they survive and they migrate throughout the, the, the site, so which is great because then they will self-distribute. So we don't have to okay. worry about giving lots of different injections all over the spinal, the injured spinal cord just to get the cells to be distributed mm. appropriately. They migrate on their own. How do the cells know to, um, to take on the particular job that's needed if they're, if they're stem cells? Yeah, because they're not actually the stem cells. What we do um, in tissue culture is to convert them into these oligodendrocyte progenitor cells. And that the okay. oligodendrocyte progenitor cells that we inject, okay, then go on to uh, do their normal duties in the spinal cord. So the oligodendrocyte progenitor cells are natural residents of the spinal cord, okay? okay. And they're, they're normally part of the central nervous system and the spinal cord. And they can take their cues from the injury site and also from the native tissue to go on to further mature in vitro, uh, in, in vivo, sorry, in, in the body, and also can um, uh, function appropriately. They can migrate. An a oligodendrocyte progenitor cell, their normal function is to migrate. What would happen if you took, you know, uh, some of these cells out of a person and just cultured them to make more and then re-injected them? Why would that not work? You could. Um, a couple of things. I mean, these oligodendrocyte progenitor cells don't expand well in culture. So if you took oligodendrocyte progenitor cells from the tissue of a person, um, it would be very difficult to culture them. It would be very difficult to get enough tissue um, in order to expand them and put them back. Plus, it would be a very lengthy process. One of the things that we found is that there's definitely a, what we call a therapeutic window. Um, you want to inject these cells within the first 30 to 40 days of injury. And so you don't have a big time window, okay? So you have to, within the first 30 to 40 days of injury. In most cases, if you were going to isolate tissue from someone and then culture them and then to expand them, it would be very difficult for you to get enough cells in that 30 to 40 day window to administer back with the people. The beauty of using these pluripotent stem cells is that you can differentiate them in mass in, in what is known as batch culture conditions, and we cryopreserve mm. them. And so it's off the shelf. We, they're ready at the time um, a patient is available for receiving them. So they're waiting for the patient as opposed to the patient waiting for the cells. Why is it, why only 30 to 40 days? What about older injuries? How come they um, can't be helped? Yeah, so far our data suggests that once you have a big cavity or in, there's something called glial scar formation, that it's difficult to get repair. 
um, what you have is a injury site that has a cavity and lots and lots of scar tissue. And you'd have to figure out methods to remove that scar tissue in order to have the potential for repair. And people are working on that now. Um, I, can't, I wouldn't say that this will never happen um, because I think it will in the future. Um, on the other yeah. hand, right now it is easier to get repair um, during the earlier phases after an injury. Right. Well, again, I know it's just a guess, but what what do you see um, happening at Asterias in the next, you know, five or ten years? What do you think is possible? What do you think is still further out in the future? And just yeah, you know, so, some generic timelines of your guesses. You know. Yeah, you know, I I think over the next two to three years, Geron is Geron Asterius is going to be. Um, basically running clinical trials uh, to test our product. Um, again, mm -hmm. randomized clinical trials and trials that um, show that um, that can prove the activity and the efficacy and the clinical benefit that you would get with these cells. And my guess is that that will take somewhere, you know, in the two to five-year time frame. Um, at that point, these cells could be um, available for uh, use in more general use. But obviously we would have to get FDA approval and approval from other regulatory bodies in other countries before we could start uh, distributing them in general for general use. But So our focus really in the immediate future is continuing to gather safety and efficacy data using these cells in patients with spinal cord injuries, again, to show their uh, safety and activity. Okay. And um, <clears throat> any other thoughts on what's coming in the near future or the things that you're you know, excited about? I think it, there are a couple of other things. These cells um, also have utility in other neurological diseases. So, for instance, you see the same types of lesion in stroke, patients with strokes, okay? These same oligodendrocyte progenitor cells could have a very important role in um, MS, in multiple sclerosis, because you have, again, the uh, loss of oligodendrocytes and demyelination. Yeah. Um, various other, what they call, uh, leukodystrophies, um, again, where these cells, uh, the same types of cells could have uh, many different, uh, could have applicability in the treatment of these other neurodegenerative diseases. So I think what we'll be seeing is not only further ex, um, use of these cells in spinal cord injury, but also beginning preclinical and clinical studies in use of these cells for other different neurodegenerative uh, disorders. Okay. Well, well, very good. Um, you know, there's many more questions I could ask, but you've been a great, great source of information. So, um, and to wrap up, what okay. would be a useful outcome for this for this podcast? Are you looking for more people to sign up for your clinical trials, or do you want to just you know more of the public to know about what Asterius is doing? I think what we're looking more is uh, getting people um, 
to more information out there for potential patients for the clinical trial. I think we're also looking at just in general uh, more knowledge about what Asterius is doing. Okay. Well, very good. And what's what's the best way for people to engage with Asterius and learn more? You know, if there are better ways for uh, people to engage with Asterius is to look at our website. There are contacts there for um, looking at potential participants in the clinical trials, referral of patients for clinical trials, and also um, contacts for getting further information about the company. Okay. Well, very good, Jane. Thank you so much for your time. and it's, uh, it's been a really, really great interview. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.